Good evening, folks, and a hearty welcome to our drive-in theater. We just want you to enjoy yourselves. A gay, pleasant evening for all. Oh, a word of caution. Mom or Pop, go with the kids when they leave the car. We hope you have a wonderful time. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome, Welcome to the Dead Zone. Welcome back, all you late-night weirdos. That's Danny over there. I'm Whitney, and this is the Dead Zone Screening Room. Hello. Well, hello. Hello. Well, I say we just jump right into it because we got some business to take care of. We get to give away stuff. Yeah, I'm really excited about this giveaway because uh, we have some physical copies, which uh, we don't always receive. Sometimes it's digital movie codes, which obviously a movie is a movie, but having the physical copy is a little bit fun. So I'm excited to get these mailed out to our winners. Well, you got a list? You ready to end everyone's suspense? Yeah, absolutely. So we had five physical copies of the movie, so we just did a random number generator, took five names out of the people who entered, and these are the people who won. If you hear your name called out here, I'm also going to put it in a social media post as well, so if you see your name or hear it here, um, be sure to reach out to us so we can get your address and get a movie shipped over to you. So our winners are A underscore McCraw 2 Samantha underscore C4, Gina RLMT, Angie Dasner, and Manda the Raz. So congrats, you guys. I'm really excited for you guys to see this movie. It's really, really good. And I'm really hoping that a lot of people get into it and enjoy it because it's it's really well done. Yeah, absolutely. Congratulations. And it really is a phenomenal film. Yeah, I'm always excited when we get the opportunity to do these giveaways because it's, it's one of the, I mean, obviously we love movies. So that's why we're here. Uh, so it's always so fun when we get to give those away for free. And yeah, the winners, there was a lot of entries. And I'm so excited that these people get their hands on these copies. So again, congrats, you guys. And thank you so much to everyone who entered. We really appreciate it. All right. So back to the task at hand. Just to recap, a few months ago, Danny and I inherited a traveling drive-in theater and were told to watch horror movies of our choosing to figure out what we want to add to the theater's vault and what to leave behind in the dead zone. The only other rule is to never be late opening the drive-in for those who are able to find us because, oh yeah, did I not mention the theater moves around? It's never in the same place twice and it's a mystery as to where it'll show up next. But if you can use your knowledge of horror and follow the clues in each episode, you might be able to figure out where the drive-in will show up next. And tonight, we were in for quite a treat. Yeah, this week's movie was really exciting. It was one that I hadn't seen before, so I was really excited to get into it. Yeah, it, it is a classic. And, you know, you love zombie films so much. You know, it's just, it's important to kind of know where those came from. If you're, if, you know, you're, you're really passionate about that genre for you to kind of see the birth of, of course, what they were called then ghouls mm -hmm. and see how that transformed into the zombies that we know today. I mean, it's fascinating. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's what I was excited about. Uh, obviously, for our listeners, if you didn't see the title of this episode, we are watching Night of the Living Dead. And yeah, that was my exact reason was I love the zombies. I love the genre, whether it be books, movies, TV shows. And so it was kind of bizarre to me that I hadn't seen the movie. So yeah, the moment I saw that this was on our list, I was super stoked to get into it. And it didn't disappoint. It was it was so fun. 
Well, of course, for our first movies, we are going with the classics and have deferred to one of the definitive names in horror culture and are using online horror magazine Bloody Disgusting's list of best horror movies of all time. And I I think for its contribution and basically creating a an entire new genre, this absolutely should be included in, in a top 10 list of best horror of all time. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I absolutely agree. And that's why I think it's another reason why it's so shocking, because I, you know, any horror movie lover, they're, they're always a, a big fan of watching like those top 10s or, you know, there's any sort of top ranking TV shows of movies. And this is always on the list, you know, whether it is for the reason that, it, you know, like you said, that it created zombies or just for the fact that it was really, you know, kind of spooky at the time and everything. It really does blow my mind that I've gone so long without seeing it. So the fact that it was on the list was no surprise to me. And absolutely, even before I saw it, I knew there was a reason it had to be there because it's popped up so many times. Well, of course, I have a a tiny bit of a six degrees separation (laughs) connection uh, to this film, which simply comes in the fact that this movie was filmed very cheaply outside of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And that is where uh, my mother's side of the family is from. And, And my uncle lived there. And he was an actor. He really hasn't done anything anyone would know. His biggest claim to fame was he was a body double in the movie The Wonder Boys. So he was the hand of Michael Douglas and the back of Rip Torn's head. There you go. That's the closest to Hollywood I will ever come. Uh, (laughs) But anyway, so he was in that scene in in Pittsburgh at the time and knew George Romero and, and that whole crowd and went to, they, they did like this little premiere in Pittsburgh, and he went, and uh, he thought the film was terrible. He didn't get it. He, uh, he, he's not a big horror fan. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it wasn't his scene, but of course he remembers distinctly going and, have to th- and having to think of something polite to say uh, when he, you know, was, was hobnobbing with the cast and crew afterwards. That's so funny. Who knew it was going to go on to, to become a classic. Yeah. Yeah. And you've said that he's gone on now to kind of say like, yeah, I didn't realize it was going to become so big either. Oh yeah. I mean, he recognizes it for, for what it was, but at the time he just was like, I don't know. I don't know what this was. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's understandable (laughs) though. I can imagine because it was so brand new that yeah, even, you know, horror fan or not, I'm sure anybody that went in there was a little bit like, well, this is different. This isn't our normal monsters or our vampires or, you know, creatures or anything like that. This was, this was brand new. So yeah, I'm sure, you know, anybody going in left a little bit like, hmm, that was weird. Creepy, <laughs> but weird. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it was actually quite shocking for a lot of people back then. Uh, a lot of things people hadn't seen before, but we're going to get all into it. We're going to cover everything from start to finish and it should be a fun one. Yeah, I'm excited. And of course, this is the time to always warn you guys that this is a spoiler full zone. There's going to be spoilers abound. So if you haven't seen this movie and you want to check it out before you hear us discuss and spoil everything here, uh, now's the time to pause the podcast. Go check out the movie. We watched it on uh, Amazon Prime. Uh, so it's available there. And then come back, hang out with us and let us spoil everything for you guys. All right, well, are you ready to talk about 
the Night of the Living Dead. I have so many things to say about this movie. I'm, I'm excited to discuss it. I'm excited to hear it. Well, before we get to our thoughts, let's get to the wiki. Night of the Living Dead is a 1968 American independent horror film written, directed, photographed, and edited by George A. Romero, co-written by John Russo and starring Dwayne Jones and Judith O'Day. Having gained experience through directing television commercials and industrial films for their Pittsburgh-based production company, The Latent Image, Romero and his friends Russo and Russell Striner decided to fulfill their ambitions to make a feature film. Aside from George Romero and his team themselves, the cast and crew consisted of their friends and relatives, local stage and amateur actors, and residents from the area. Following its theatrical premiere in Pittsburgh on October 1st, 1968, Night of the Living Dead eventually grossed 12 million domestically and 18 million internationally, earning more than 250 times its budget and making it one of the most profitable film productions ever made at the time. Released shortly prior to the adoption of the Motion Picture Association of America rating system, the film attracted widespread controversy and negative reviews upon its initial release for its explicit violence and gore, but it soon garnered a cult following and acclaim amongst critics. Frequently identified as the first modern zombie film and a touchstone in the development of the horror genre, respective scholarly analysis has focused on its reflection on the social and cultural upheavals in the United States during the 1960s, with particular attention being directed toward the casting of Jones, an African-American, in the leading role. In 1999, the film was deemed culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant by the Library of Congress and selected for preservation in the National Film Registry. Night of the Living Dead spawned a franchise that includes five official sequels released between 1978 and 2009, also directed by Romero. As a result of its public domain status, it had inspired several remakes, the most well-known of which, written by Romero and directed by Tom Savini, was released in 1990. All right, and then moving over quickly to the synopsis, it says, A desperate group of individuals takes refuge in an abandoned house when corpses begin to leave the graveyard in search of fresh human bodies to devour. The pragmatic Ben, played by Dwayne Jones, does his best to control the situation, but when the reanimated bodies surround the house, the other survivors begin to panic. As any semblance of order within the group begins to dissipate, the zombies start to find ways inside, and one by one, the living humans become the prey of the deceased ones. Oh boy. Oh boy. And so it begins. It does. Right off the bat. It's crazy that this is... The first zombie film. It just seems like, I don't know, there's just always been zombies. So so to think that we're watching the inception of that, mm-hmm. I mean, it's kind of cool. Yeah. The birth of the zombie. The zombie baby birth. <laughs> zombie babies. Which I believe in the remake of one of these, maybe Dawn of the Dead, I think there was a zombie baby. I think I feel like you're correct. Is that the one at the shopping mall? I can't remember. All right. Well. But I feel like I know what you're talking about. Cool. I'm going to support you in that endeavor. And I appreciate the hell out of you for it. <laughs> Sadly, there were no babies in this one, though. No babies. No babies. A young child, but not baby. Exactly. 
Well, all right, here we go. So the movie starts, and we are live and in living Tecna black and white. Yep. It is a black and white movie in a time that pretty much everything was color. This is 1968. We we had color film. We were all about it. But Mm -hmm. black and white was cheap. Yeah. And I'm sure also it wasn't there kind of um, some sort of idea around the fact if you did like horror and gore and black and white that also kind of lessened the well that was hitchcock's philosophy when he was doing psycho and you know he he said it was for two reasons one was the fact that it was cheaper and two was i mean you could get away with a little more mm-hmm. where where you know hershey's chocolate syrup can stand in for blood because it's black and white yeah yeah so so yeah he could get away with pushing the envelope a little more with the gore because it's black and white. Yeah, yeah. And they had just purchased the camera for that movie, correct? So this is like brand new camera solely for the use of this movie. And, and yeah, I mean, it's it's still a really good movie regardless. But yeah, I love the, the contrast that it's in black and white and that they made that conscious decision to do that for this movie. Yeah. It, and it, it turned out some of the investors, they wanted it done in uh, 35 millimeter. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. yeah, they, they had to purchase a, a new camera, but you know, a lot of people today, they're just so used to, to color that a lot of people won't give black and white a chance. They just kind of poo it because mm-hmm. you know, it's black and white. I need color, but I, it, it it's something, there's something so artsy <laughs> about <laughs> black and white. It, it just, it makes it seem a little bit more special, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Uh, like someone really put a little bit more thought into yeah, it. Yeah, like they took the extra time to figure out that that was a better way to view it. Yeah, yeah. It's certainly more atmospheric mm-hmm. at times, which I think like was the perfect choice for this movie. Oh yeah, for sure. Now in today's world, in a zombie film, you want that gore. We mm-hmm. want to see the just bright red blood and we want <laughs> we want to see those tendons rip apart yeah and we want that gore but for what this was back then because even this was extremely gory for the day mm-hmm. but of course by today's standards really quite mild yeah yeah but i think the fact that it it was in black and white it it adds something to it it really does I, d- I don't know if this film would have been the same if w- if it would have been in color. Yeah, I agree. Because they, they didn't have big budget for makeup, mm-hmm. so they were really limited. So I think that would have cheapened some of the effects. Yeah. And the fact that we can still do it in black and white, I, I think it, it gave them a little more wiggle room there. Yeah, yeah, I agree. All right, well... Let's talk about the damn movie. That's what we're here for. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so we have our our opening shot, and uh, off in the distance, here comes a car, and it's still coming. Wait for it. Mm -hmm. Almost here? It's almost here now. And there it goes. Mm -hmm. All right. Right past the camera. Man, that took a long time to get there. It does, yeah. Uh, And it runs right into Night of the Living Dead. We get our... uh, title car yeah yeah the car just drives right through it and i remember thinking being conscious of that weight as well like we're starting the movie and then yeah i was like at first i didn't notice the car but the the opening scene's just on this like road and i was like okay we're wait (laughs) it's windy road 
is there somebody i was like are we watching is there <laughs> a zombie focal point here? yeah i kept thinking it was like is a zombie gonna like walk through what oh there's a car and then it just kind of kept coming and coming i was like wow this is really there's bound to be like a zombie or something like <laughs> something's gotta walk through nope just the car well i i think it kind of telepathically sets up that uh this movie is a slow burn mm-hmm. everything about it is a slow burn. Mm-hmm. It it does not move at a fast pace, but yet it continually builds yeah. and builds and builds into this just unbelievable conclusion. And and so I think that really sets the tone right there. It's yeah. like things things are going to happen when they're going to happen and you're still going to come along for the ride and yeah. you're going to enjoy every minute of it. Yeah, yeah. And it, it is still a good scene, like you said, but also there's this amazing music that we have right off the bat too, mm-hmm. which I know is a big, I, I think we kind of talked about it with Nosferatu as well, is a, is a big part of the black and white movie. I think it helps to enhance it a little bit, especially when there's not a whole lot of dialogue. Now there's more dialogue in this, obviously, than Nosferatu because that was a silent movie. But there is still times where, you know, they're just walking around the room or doing stuff and, you know, uh, like boarding up windows and everything like that. So there is moments where it's quiet. And this movie had a really good soundtrack. And we're met with that automatically in that opening scene. Yeah. And it's used quite effectively to help build that tension. Mm -hmm. Like you're saying, when, when he's boarding up windows, when we get to that point. Yeah, it's... It's quite effective and just kind of that suspenseful, oh God, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> what are we in for here? Uh, so after they take the longest car ride ever, and and we know it's long because they're talking about it. Mm-hmm. They are bitching about it. They've been in the car for three hours. Yeah, they're not happy. And this is Barbara and Johnny, and they are brother and sister, and they have traveled three hours through much complaining to visit their father's grave. And father's been gone so long, Johnny can't even remember what he looks like. Plum forgot. <laughs> I mean, surely there's a photograph of the guy around somewhere. Something. A, a fond memory somewhere stuffed away. <laughs> You'd think, but it's just, it's not happening. Apparently, they come to the cemetery every year, but yet still can't seem to remember where the grave is. So we spend a lot of time walking around trying to figure out where it is. Mm-hmm. But... Also, in the meantime, there's a storm a-rolling in. Some thunder and some lightning. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, Johnny, as a brother does, uh, starts to needle Barbara a bit. Yeah. Just teasing her. Just saying, ooh, we're in a cemetery. It's real spooky, huh? You, you, uh, spooked, Barbara? <laughs> little, a little scared, Barbara? <laughs> Are you scared? You're going you gonna to hide behind something, Barbara? <laughs> I don't know why I'm, I'm doing Johnny like this. I have no idea. He's perfectly fine young man uh but he's he's messing with her and of course she's getting freaked out oh stop it leave me alone and off in the distance we can see kind of shambling up as is this guy in a suit he's just kind of walking through the graveyard which you know it's a public place it's fine but johnny of course still picking on barbara and they start to get closer to the guy and and he's like oh look there's one now it's gonna get you and she's just playing it off and is gonna walk past the guy But here we have our first big jump scare because the dude attacks her. Yeah, right off the bat. Right off the bat. And and I can imagine, you know, I tried to put myself in the mindset of try and pretend like you have no idea what a zombie is. Uh You you have no concept of the dead returning to life and consuming the flesh of other human beings. 
what a horrifying thing. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> if you never conceived of that before. Yeah. And here, you know, you're just, you have no idea what's going on. Yeah. A- a- or what to expect. So the fact that, you know, here's brother teasing sister and she's just trying to get out of here and all of a sudden this guy just jumps on her. That's scary. Yeah. Yeah. And I think even as the viewer, because again, like you said, while this movie is a slow burn, uh, we do have a, a, a bit of a jump scare right at the beginning there. And you're not really expecting it because, yeah, you have this kind of silent scene of the car ride and then they are conversating and he's kind of, you know, being jovial and joking around with her. And, and everything like that, you're still not expecting this kind of loud interruption and kind of chaotic moment of this attack. So, yeah, I think it was it, shocking for both, you know, the character and the, the viewer because it just is such an unexpected moment so quickly. Yeah. And the scene is done so well because this whole conversation that they're having where they're complaining about the drive and I don't know why mother makes us come up here and just, it's so innocuous. It's Mm -hmm. just like, it's just an everyday conversation between a brother and a sister and they're just annoyed that they're there, but they know it's the right thing to do. And, you know, and now they're just teasing each other. And then of course we get this, what becomes classic line, they're coming to get you, Barbara. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just something a brother would say yeah. when, when they're teasing, but it just, it makes you so comfortable with them mm-hmm. and, and familiar immediately because yeah. we just see this mundane conversation. Oh, these are just people just mm-hmm. like us. And then all of a sudden, holy crap, they're in danger. Yeah. Out of the blue. Yeah. Super effective. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, it turns out Johnny was right, and they were coming to get Barbara. Uh, but Johnny jumps in to save Barbara, pushes her out of the way, Ooh, and he gets his head whacked. Yeah. But it's like a really muted thump. It's like... Mm-hmm. It's like... A, Just a little bonk. It sounded survivable. I, should I be worried? Uh, but it wasn't. He's dead. Yeah. Bye-bye, Johnny. We hardly knew you. We really didn't know a whole lot about you, but... You went out with a thump. Yeah. You had some great glasses. And you saved Barbara. You did. You're a good big brother. (laughs) Well, Barbara makes her way back to the car, but the keys are in dead Johnny's pocket. Mm -hmm. Uh, But she comes up with a pretty smart idea. Yeah. Because Ghoulie is still... He's still after her. And he's like banging on the car and smashing the windows in. Uh, they're parked on a hill, so she puts the thing in neutral and just starts cruising down the road. Mm -hmm. And she's getting away, and we see, you know, we see old Ghoulie in the back, and he's kind of stumbling, but he's not quick. No. So we're thinking, okay, she's putting some distance. Yeah. Uh, And then she runs into a tree. Yeah, it ended pretty quickly. It's like, seriously, woman, you're going six miles an hour. (laughs) Could you turn the wheel? Anywho, because of her breakneck speed, uh, even a slow-ass ghoulie is able to keep up with the car. Mm -hmm. So she's got to get out and abandon it, or he's just going to get her in the car. So she heads out on foot, and just just this great panic scene Mm -hmm. of her freaking out and running in a panic. And I don't know what it is about it, but it just so conveys this confusion and terror. That she has. She knows she has to get away, but she has no idea what the hell's going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And and it really does represent our audience. They're freaking out, too. They're like, I don't understand. Why did this person attack her? What mm-hmm. does he want? Why won't he leave her alone? Why is Johnny dead now? 
I had already gotten attached to him. <laughs> <laughs> I I have anxiety. Exactly. Uh, well, finally, she makes her way to an old farmhouse and locks herself inside. But uh-oh, taxidermy is scary. That's <laughs> it, all I wrote. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, which is understandable. Because when you are facing both ghouls slash zombies and taxidermy taxidermy is far scarier so yeah well, basically the scene when she first gets inside she of course you have a small mo- moment where she breathes a sigh of relief because she's inside and yes. feels safe but turns around and hears all these dead animal heads and it's you know it's terrifying. probably not the thing you want to see at this moment yeah uh but she's not doing well yeah barbara uh pretty much from that moment on is just uh messed up she's Sister is out. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Just checked out. She is uh, a stranded drool away from catatonic, yeah. I think. Yeah. But she made it in the house, and that's all, you know, that was her goal. <laughs> so we have, uh, yeah, she's made it through stage one. Mm-hmm. And, but Ghoulie has followed her and now has friends. So this is this is not good because now there's more of them. Yeah, yeah. And that's one thing I do have to say about the the movie pretty much right off the bat when it comes to our ghouls, you know, as far as this being kind of the birth of of the zombie or what we know as zombies, it's interesting because I feel like Romero actually gave the zombies more brains, uh, for lack of better words, than our normal zombies. These zombies seem more intelligent. Like the Mm -hmm. fact that the zombie goes to the car and is like picking something up to like bash in the window and follows her so so far, that's not really what we know as our zombies nowadays. They're kind of mindless and wandering. And yeah, they'll follow you if you're making sound and everything. Then of course they'll they'll follow that sound. But usually, you know, once you get into a vehicle or a house and you've quieted down They're easily distracted. yeah, Yeah. Yeah. But these ones are definitely far more aggressive and they don't give up and mm-hmm. they definitely yeah. have more smarts and wit about them than, than our normal zombies. So that's interesting that that shifted through time because that was one thing as somebody that is such a fan of the zombie genre today, it was interesting to see how how intelligent they were. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, and that's one of the things that makes Romero zombies so scary is they just don't stop yeah they're relentless yeah they're just gonna keep coming Mm -hmm. and keep building in numbers yes yes and it's like they have a goal in mind and they're just until they reach it they're just gonna keep coming and Mm -hmm. that's horrifying yeah i know that was like one of the kind of persistent things throughout my notes was i was just like how do they know that she's in the house like she and i understand you know she was making some noise and everything Mm -hmm. like that but then there was times where she would just be like sitting on the couch just staring at the wall right and and stuff like that and so yeah that was one of the things i i noted off the top was how creepy that was that they were so relentless that they wouldn't go away because that's that's infinitely more more terrifying to know that yeah you're in here and you're safe but unless you get out and actually kill these things they don't seem to be going away well they are not going away and barbara needs to figure out what she needs to do next so she starts exploring the house Tries to go upstairs, but unfortunately, there's a nasty old corpse right at the top. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is not helping uh, her psyche at all. Yeah. But it's a pretty good corpse. Uh, again, here we are in black and white, mm-hmm. but it, it's nice and nasty. I mean, it's all it's all gooey and, and you m- mostly just see the head. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, but you're left to believe that their flesh has been consumed. Mm-hmm. And, and just kind of 
the bits and pieces yeah. <laughs> are left over. And, and it's fairly effective. Yeah, that was one thing also that I noted was because the, thus far, you know, we do have the kill in the cemetery of Johnny and then we do have the multiplying zombies. But, you know, in contrast to what we know of the zombie world today, the the makeup and the gore thus far has been very few and far between. It's just not not there. And that's mm-hmm. just, you know, it is part of the movie. And I, I don't think it detracted from it in any way. But then we have this this corpse there at the top of the stairs, and yeah, this, the camera kind of focuses on that skull, and it was it was kind of gory enough that I took note of it that I was like, oh, they did a really good job on making mm-hmm. that look like really kind of wet and slimy yeah. and and stuff like that. So yeah, I thought it was a good juxtaposition to what we had seen thus far in the movie. Yeah, because our our ghouls outside they're not you know really decaying yeah uh, that much we'll see a few later on but mm-hmm. for the most part they just kind of look like people yeah uh, because Romero zombies you had to be I believe they say in one of the new newscasts that it's the recently dead mm-hmm. the ones that have just recently died so it's not like the the old decaying ones are coming up out of the graves mm-hmm. themselves I think mm-hmm. that that happens later on in zombie lore but at this point they they still look Pretty human. Yeah, yeah. Well, of course, Barbara is now just freaking out because she's found a corpse. She tries to run outside, but is met at the door by, oh, God, it's a black man. Yes. And he's looking for some gas to try and get out of town. Mm-hmm. Now, for those of us who grew up on horror from the 70s and the 80s, anytime you see a black character, you think, well, they'll be dead in about five minutes. Yes, that's always been part of the horror trope for a long long time but that is not what happens here no this is our hero this is ben and ben ben somehow just makes everything better he comes in in a in a a literal flash of light he comes in with the truck and there's uh headlights on barbara and kind of blinding her a little bit and then here he comes the hero on the screen to kind of save the day and everything and and yeah like you said there's just this kind of demeanor about him that like and I think it's that kind of take charge, like he's just here and he's like, look, here's what we need to board up the house. You know, given the the person that's obviously like in shock steps of things to do to move forward and make everything safe and stuff like that. And so, yeah, inherently you're like, OK, I, I can trust this guy. He's here to help things out. He's going to take care of me. He's very tall. He looks like he could take on a zombie or two. And I feel comfortable. <laughs> yeah. And, but that's the thing. He just comes in and just takes care of shit yeah he's like look i don't have time to ask who you are what we're doing Mm -hmm. whose house is this what's going on come inside i'm gonna start boarding shit up Mm -hmm. i need your help of course barbara is extremely unhelpful oh yeah the most unhelpful Uh, she basically just keeps screaming what's happening what's happening what's happening Mm -hmm. what's happening (laughs) and this is not really conversation time yeah meanwhile ben goes outside he takes out Two of our ghoulies, but while he's outside, another one has come up from the basement and is now after Barbara. Mm-hmm. But Ben gets back inside, gets to her just in time, and takes him out with a crowbar to the forehead. Yes. It's like, yes. And unbeknownst to them, you know, this is the birth of the lore that it's got to be the brain. Mm-hmm. The mm-hmm. only way to take him down is to destroy the brain. And they don't know this yet. They'll they'll find out later on. But but yeah, luckily he gets them right through the cabeza mm-hmm. and uh and and he's down. It, it's a wonderful entrance. So Barbara comes back into the kitchen and uh sees the dead ghoulie and Ben yells at her, Don't look at it. <laughs> Just don't look at it. <laughs> I mean, at this point, 
she's going to see. Yeah. <laughs> Other stuff's going to happen. She's already been through it. It's fine she's, if she takes a peek. She, Please don't yell at Barbara. She's going through some shit and is not doing well. Yeah, yeah. She's She's been through it, and she is just hanging on by a thread poor thing that was that was a, <laughs> very obvious the moment he comes in and he starts kind of and i don't even necessarily like think that he's barking orders but immediately like you said he just takes charge and he's wanting to get things taken care of and get the yeah. house up to some sort of safety code and everything like that and and she literally just most times like staring off into the distance <laughs> or just asking repeated questions or just looking at him like she just doesn't realize that he's even human and it's just it's so funny because he just keep it's like walking circles around her just putting a board here hammering <laughs> yeah, a board he, there he is in full-on go mode and and i know he was trying to protect her mm-hmm. by saying you know don't look at it it's gonna be disturbing but he's just he's on high right now and yeah. he's got shit to take care of and it's like dude you are way up here I'm going to need you to bring it down like here. <laughs> <laughs> but but he is all about getting shit done. So Barbara goes and gets her own little knife uh, that she acts very affectionately toward. She yeah. starts to caress it. It's a little weird. Yeah. Yeah. It, there's like a couple of times where, again, poor Ben's trying to conversate with her or, you know, give her a simple task to do. And she just looks down longingly at her knife. There was a couple of times I was like, Were she is she going to kill him? Like, what is this doing? Like, she loves that knife. Yeah. Well, I thought, you know, the first time I saw it, I was like, certainly we're not going to have it where she's going to flip out too. And now we have another problem. Yeah. With a crazy lady in the house. Uh, but that's, that's not what happens. Uh, I mean, so, she's a crazy lady in the house. She is. But, but, but you know... I also imagined in when she was caressing her new knife, uh, I imagine she named him Mr. Poker. Oh, that's a good name. I thought so. Yeah, why not? Well, Ben yells at Barbara again because she's basically catatonic, and Mr. Poker is really the only one who understands her. Yeah. As usual, instead of helping, Barbara wanders off and starts playing a music box. <laughs> Because that's helpful. Yeah. She does end up bringing in three pieces of wood, only slightly larger than your average toothpick. Mm-hmm. And, and gives those to Ben to, to help him board up. And really, rumor has it, if it wasn't for those pieces of wood, <laughs> they wouldn't have made it as far as they did. So thank God for Barbara. <laughs> but of course, the hammering becomes too loud and too much for poor Barbara. And of course, her arms are tired from the toothpicks. So Ben just has her go and sort nails based on their size. Yeah. I love this so much because it's literally the kind of busy work your dad would give you Mm -hmm. when you were, quote unquote, helping him with a project in the garage. He's like, just please stop doing that. Please don't touch that. If if, you know what would be really helpful (laughs) if you could go sort these nails based on their size. It also kind of feels like a task you would give me what (laughs) when you're like working on something and i like love to get super hyper randomly at inappropriate times and that's usually when you're busy doing something and so i'll be like can i help what can i do let me know if i can help you and then yeah it sounds like something you'd be like you know what would actually be the most helpful (laughs) is if you could go over there and And uh sort some nails just sort them out for me and i would happily do it (laughs) 
I bet you would be great at it, too. I would. Barbara didn't seem like she was that enthusiastic about it. I don't even think she did that. No. Because <laughs> eventually she just ends up on the couch, and that's just kind of her home for the, the majority of the movie. But she does make another friend on the couch. She does. She gets a buddy. Mm-hmm. But we'll get to that. So Ben tells Barbara about a truck being attacked by ghoulies as he casually dismantles a dining room table. Yeah, he's just, you know, just telling a story, taking apart a table. Just, just fine. a combo. Uh, he talks about how he came across 50 ghouls, and when he tried to run them over with his car, none of them reacted or even tried to get out of the way. There's something fishy about these people. Yeah. They're not right. There's something wrong in the noggin. Can't quite put my finger on it, though. Must be a ghoulie. <laughs> Well, of course, since Ben's being so open, this prompts Barbara to relive the cemetery scene. Like, literally tells us everything that we just saw mm-hmm. already. It's like, uh-huh, yeah, we were just there. Yeah, we, we could just in, imply that you told this information uh, to Ben. Yeah, and, like and a little, like, flash-forward moment. Yeah, it seemed a little redundant. But now she's insisting that they go back and get Johnny. Because she doesn't realize he's dead. And she starts freaking out and slaps Ben. Mm-hmm. But then Ben just slaps her right the fuck back. Yeah, he's not playing. He's he not is, playing he this game. Could, he's like, look, I don't have time for you crazy right now. Yeah. Shit's yeah. real. Yeah. I mean, it works. She passes out and that gets her out of the way for a little while. It's so funny, though, how even at that time and and you know, today, how shocking that scene kind of is, because I know we ended up watching a documentary after the movie about mm-hmm. the movie. And, and uh, Romero was talking about how Dwayne was so uncomfortable with that scene and didn't want to yeah. do it at all. And it's so funny because I, you know, even watching it last night, I, I think both of us were like, oh, you know, whenever mm-hmm. that slap happened. So it's it's interesting how that, you know, even filming that scene to viewing that scene, it is a little bit shocking to watch that scene happen. But, you know, you do have to put yourself in those character's shoes. And I don't know how I would react in that moment. Because yeah, she goes from this catatonic character to the, you know, not talking at all, to literally kind of going off the rails. She's just yelling about Johnny at this point. And yeah, like she's you said, freaking out. yeah, it doesn't realize that he's dead and just kind of tugging on Ben and just frantic and freaking out. And, and he's kind of trying to tell her, like, hey, be calm, calm down. And in my head, I'm like, he, she's been calm this whole time, my guy. Like, you wanted a reaction. You've got it. Mm-hmm. And then it ended up being a, too much of a reaction. But, yeah, I, I had to put myself in his shoes and kind of be like, honestly, I think I probably would have slapped yeah. her back. <laughs> it's a little stressful. <laughs> yeah, we don't have time. You can fall apart later. But mm-hmm. right now, if you're not helping me, you need to get out of the way. Yeah. Because I'm the only one that's keeping us alive. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, that was a huge deal back then. So let's talk a bit about the controversy that came from this about the fact that he had hired a black man Mm -hmm. as the lead and the fact that he just slapped a white woman. And later on, he's going to shoot a white man in the head. Mm -hmm. And he was, like you said, very uncomfortable doing these scenes because he knew he was going to get backlash for yeah, it. Yeah, And it was a complete sign of the times and the way everything was that this, you know, and, and Romero has said when they were casting for that part, it was never written as 
this is a white man or mm-hmm. this is a black man or none of the parts were. They yeah. were just people. And it was literally, who can we get to play this part? Yeah. Because the budget was so small mm-hmm. and they had people try out. He literally did the best. He was a classically trained actor and he got the part mm-hmm. and it it just, it didn't even occur to Romero that this was a big deal. Mm-hmm. And so they didn't change anything in the script. Yeah. And another thing that they did, which you mentioned that we watched that documentary in that documentary, he says that, Over the years, he has thought about, I wish I would have made some sort of verbal statement in the film about, you know, maybe address it a little bit about the fact that here is a black man coming in and he is our hero. Mm -hmm. But I think that would have been the wrong thing to do. I think the way that it is, is perfect. The fact that nobody says anything about it. Nobody says, I'm not going to listen to you. You're a black man. Mm-hmm. And because that's the way the times were then. I mean, nobody makes note of it. Nobody makes a big deal out of mm-hmm. it. It just this, it's a man. Here he is. Yeah. And that's really when we normalize things and they treated it like it was just a normal thing. Here's a guy. There's danger. He's helping us. Yeah. Let's just do what we got to do. And I think that's the way to handle that is just normalize it. And I mean, yes, there are conversations absolutely that need to come of it, but the movie is what it is. Yeah. He wrote this character. This is the man who came in and played this character and he happened to be a black man. Mm -hmm. This is the movie that I made. Let's have a conversation about what you think about that afterwards. Yeah. But I don't think it would have been beneficial at all to, uh, do something in the film to point out uh, anything about this character. Am am I making sense in how I'm... (laughs) No, I I agree. I think, uh, you know, A, I don't really know how you would work that, you know, that kind of statement into Mm -hmm. the movie. You know, it's not really a... a Well, I think he he meant, like, adding that in as a plot point. Like, you know, we're going to meet Mr. Entitled later, who's just a a jackass. Yeah. But maybe if they have that character go so far as to complain about the fact he's not going to listen to or take orders from a black man or something. I I think he meant something along those lines. Yeah, yeah. As working that into, like, as a character flaw. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, I mean... I can understand why he, that he would want to do that in in hindsight at, as far as like making a bigger statement about it because mm-hmm. it should I mean it, it 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 should be recognized for how cool it was that a black man was our main character not only our main character but also our heroine of the movie and and so I can understand where what he's saying as far as yeah I wish I would have called attention to that to to make it a grander statement so more people would have uh noticed it but i also get what you're saying i agree i i think when you normalize those situations and and stuff like that then there's there's no reason to call attention to it because i feel like especially you know in a movie like this where this is the first time it's really being done i feel like that would have detracted from what we're seeing on the on the screen which is this actor Dwayne Jones playing this character Ben and doing it well mm-hmm. when we make that statement and we draw attention to it then automatically you kind of set up those game pieces for people to start looking for things that he's doing wrong Mm -hmm. or things that he's doing incorrectly or to criticize those moments that are controversial like like him slapping a white woman or him shooting a white man in the head and and 
by eliminating those talking points, you're allowed to just enjoy the movie and enjoy him as an actor and as a character and then have the conversation Absolutely. after the movie. Yeah. 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 And I, I agree with you. I, I, th- I think that's important. It was important then and it's important now to realize that, yeah, that a lot of times, unfortunately, minorities do tend to fall in, into those, not just horror, but a lot of movie tropes where they're, they're, you know, either they are the villain or they're killed off sooner or they're, you know, the given, best friend or yeah they're giving yeah. The, they're given the short end of the stick somehow mm-hmm. within the situation so yeah i think it's an important trope and an important conversation to have then and now but i i, I mean ultimately to answer your question i i agree with you i i don't know that it would have been necessary in this movie to make that statement because i think that it would have detracted from what was being done subconsciously like obviously romero said he wasn't aware of what he was doing at the time so i i think i think it worked out in the end i don't i don't know that it would have benefited from some sort of mass statement of looky here, look what we're doing, you know, pat us right. on the back or anything like that. Yeah. And this movie has become kind of this mirror uh, as to what was going on mm-hmm. in the world at the time that they filmed it. And it, it really is reflected a lot in the symbolism of mm-hmm. what we see, especially toward the end and the re- resolution of this movie. So we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that more. But of course, underneath all that, we have the fun part of of the zombies. Mm -hmm. Well, Ben gets a radio tuned in and there's a warning on there of an epidemic of mass homicide by unruly gang of multiple assassins. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I thought, wow, that that was just impressive. Yeah, it was a mouthful. It's a lot. It's a lot to basically cover just flesh-eating ghoul yeah 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 i know i think i noted down in one part uh similarly i think within that same statement uh they just simply called them like unidentified assassins or something like that and even paired down to that it still doesn't sound like ghouls like if somebody said hey we're under attack from identified assassins i'd be like ninjas what's going on like (laughs) exactly that's what it sounds like a bunch of hitmen (laughs) are after us It, it doesn't really let you know what's going on yeah yeah uh, the other thing we learned is that this is happening in all the major cities uh, on the eastern part of the United States so far. So this this is not just a localized thing, and it's spreading. Uh, so as Ben continues to barricade the house, and he listens to the news, uh, he lights a fire. Then he sets a chair on fire on the porch. I wasn't sure what the purpose... I mean, I guess the ghouls didn't like fire. Yeah, I think maybe that was just some sort of small moment for us to realize that the zombies don't like fire because he goes on to make that statement pretty quick afterward he's like yeah i just found out that the zombies don't like fire and then that was it yeah it just (laughs) it seemed a little random it seemed it seemed odd it's just like oh okay we're lighting a chair on fire i didn't know it was a beacon i don't know what's going on (laughs) i'm Uh, just gonna put a bonfire out here real quick i thought we'd roast marshmallows (laughs) but ben has finished boarding up the place and has earned himself a nice smoke uh, and then he does a bit of snooping and finds some ladies' shoes and a shotgun and some shells. So we now have a weapon. But he gives the shoes to Barbara because apparently she lost hers at some point. Yeah. I, I don't know when that happened. She just didn't have shoes on. Ben tells her the house is pretty boarded up now. Although you pointed <laughs> out we can clearly see a wide open, unboarded up window behind them. Yeah. But that's the one that they won't touch. 
All the other ones are fine. <laughs> yeah, that one's the magic window. This is the non-ghoul yeah. uh, window. Everyone if they knows go to that. that window, then they will be identified assassins, and they don't want to be identified, <laughs> so they so, will remain yeah. unidentified by We're good. staying behind the boards. So now we get another update on the radio that the these uh, assassins are eating their victims. Yeah, things are getting spicy. Can you imagine the horror of that? Again, like I said, I was trying to put myself in the mindset. Yeah. And just the concept, because really our, our big monsters up to this point, you've got your Frankensteins, you got your mummies, you got your creatures from the Black Lagoon, you got your, your Draculas. Mm-hmm. Uh, none of them, well, I guess a werewolf kind of ate their victims, but you could play that off because they were a wolf at the time. Yeah, yeah. This is people eating other people. Yeah. It's horrifying. Yeah, it's very unsettling. It doesn't make me hungry (laughs) at all. Well, Barbara now starts to see the basement door open and two men just magically come up the basement. It's like, who the fuck are these guys? (laughs) Ben is like, "Uh, you couldn't have come up earlier to help me board this fucking place up, you assholes. (laughs) They literally let him board the entire place up. Yeah. Before they came up and go, oh, I didn't know there was someone up here. Yeah, they tried to play it off like they couldn't hear it. But then later on, they go on to say, like, you were making so much noise up here. It's like, could you not hear me or could you hear me? <laughs> what What's the real story here? Uh, so we've got the asshole who I just call Mr. Entitled. He's mm-hmm. just, God, he's just such a jerk. Yeah. He, he's one of those guys. He thinks he knows everything. He, you know, everyone should listen to what he says. But you can tell he's just an idiot. Yeah, it's, it's his way or the highway. I'm just almost immediately irritated by him. But his wife and injured child are in the cellar, uh, along with the other guy who I call Mr. Beatnik Daddy-O. His girlfriend is down in the cellar. Mm -hmm. And Mr. Entitled tells Ben that there's no way he did a good enough job to keep those things out. And the cellar is the only place to be safe. Well, of course, Ben insists they should stay upstairs because it's it's a freaking death trap to go in the cellar. There's mm-hmm. there's no escape. Once you're in there, you can't get out. So if they break in and get into the cellar, where are you going to go? Mm-hmm. At least if they break into the house, you have other places you can go. You can run upstairs. You can run out another door. So he Ben is insisting that they should stay upstairs and only use the cellar as a last resort. Mr. Beatnik Danio agrees with Ben that they should stay upstairs. Mm-hmm. Well, this does not sit right with Mr. Entitled. He doesn't like the fact that people aren't listening to what he should say. And he's just going to be a pain in the ass the whole time. And he does it well. Well, just then a ghoul attacks through the window. We finally have them attacking the house. Mm-hmm. And their numbers are growing. And it, it's they're surrounding the house. It's getting scary. Uh, but Ben shoots him in the head. Takes care of it. But then we get a shot of more ghouls coming in, and we get a naked one. We see zombie butt. Yeah. That was, that was pretty risque for back then. Yeah. It looked like a human butt, which I didn't expect. I was like, wow, this was unexpected. I mean, zombies were people. Did well, you I'm think just they saying, got a different butt? Who am I to say? Could be uh, decaying a little bit. That well, could be again, where they recently did. They had to be recently. I, I don't know their butts. <laughs> Well, now I, you know this one. That's what I'm saying. I just, I needed a few more zombie butts to really solidify what I thought zombie butts looked like. Ah, all right. Well, yeah. we just get the one. Yeah, I was a little disappointed. I was like, oh, we could use more. And that was what I put in my letter to Romero. So 
He should be receiving that tomorrow. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> One request, more zombie butts. <laughs> well, Mr. Entitled insists he is not staying upstairs. If he closes that door, he's not going to open it again. Ever again. He has rights. To the basement. I don't know what he, what he says he should have rights to. Uh, this isn't his house, uh, yeah. but he deserves to have food and supplies. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know how he came to that conclusion. Yeah. And the funny thing is, is this whole time, like, literally nobody's arguing with him. They're no. like, if you want to go down in the basement, my dude, do go it. Go for it. And if you want to come upstairs and get some food, you can do that, too. Like, we're here and there's zombies outside. Literally, none of us are going anywhere. <laughs> so do do what you want. And we're in the house, so <laughs> you're in the house. Yeah. Well, I'll be in the house. You don't have to stay in this room. Yeah. But he, yeah, he's just like, I, I'm I'm not going to unlock this door if I go down there. I They're feel like, like, okay, <laughs> bye. I feel like he's like a, a like a toddler. He's like, I, I'll really do it. It's exactly how he's acting. I'm going to really close the door if you don't. Ma- I will do it. <laughs> but I got one foot in. <laughs> I'm turning the handle. <laughs> well, before Mr. Entitled can lock the basement up, Mr. Beatnik gets his girlfriend out of the basement and uh, off goes Entitled into the uh, the cellar. And basically, his wife just starts giving him shit and yeah. telling him he's an idiot. Why are we down here? We're trapped down here. Why aren't we upstairs where it's safe with the rest of them? Yeah. Well, the wife convinces the husband to go up. But for some reason, they can't move the daughter. I don't, she's sick, but I don't know why that means we can't move her. Yeah. I know. I kind of thought the same thing. Because they were like, well, somebody's got to be down there with her. And I was like, could she not just come up? Yeah. Yeah. And it's yeah it's weird because now they have to send mr beatnik's girlfriend back down to stay with her in the cellar so the mr and mrs entitled could come up yeah it's like i don't understand and it was literally just to listen to the radio because she just wanted to listen to the radio well i mean she's bored oh no i get it i'm just saying like they could have brought their daughter up and maybe she wanted to listen to the radio nobody asked her (laughs) nobody asked poor little karen anything and yes that is her name little baby karen so, of course, upstairs, Mr. Entitled has to whine about everything. He keeps complaining that the windows aren't boarded up good enough, but yet they're too boarded up and he can't see what's going on outside. They finally find an actual television and now they're getting more news. Uh, it turns out the unburied dead are coming back to life and attacking, killing, and eating the living. This is shocking. We're all scared. <laughs> I'm terrified. I mean, seriously, that had to be just... A horrifying concept to accept the first time. Oh, yeah. I'd be like, can you turn that off and back on again and see if things have changed? Because <laughs> I'm not okay with anything that's happening out there right now. Yeah, I just I just meant as an audience member seeing this for the first time. Oh, yeah, me too. I would, That's what I'm saying. Turn off the movie, turn it back on. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Yeah, because like you said, it's a brand new idea. And, and again, we keep comparing it to what we've known thus far, which has been these monsters. But there is a vast difference. Even though these monsters are played by humans and a lot of times they have human-like qualities, you are able to kind of distance yourself because, you know, humans don't have bolts sticking out of their neck and, and stuff like that. <laughs> Speak for yourself. <laughs> so they're able to kind of distance themselves. But yeah, then we have these normal people who just recently passed away just just popping back in for a little munch and yeah as as the viewers of this brand new movie with this new concept i'm sure that was like excuse me who thought of this and why is this okay why are we watching this yeah and then i'd go back and see it again 
Yeah. <laughs> well, another thing that they learn is that the only thing you can do to keep the dead from coming back is to burn the bodies. And that that's another thing that's going to play on people's psyche because how societies treat their dead uh, is is very specific to their culture. Mm-hmm. And so if if you live in a culture where it is typical that you bury your dead, uh, learning that you have no choice but to burn them. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's another thing that's just kind of unsettling yeah. and uh, unnerving about this. So I, I'm sure that was another thing that's just a little like, what? Mm-hmm. They also learned that there's shelters opening up. So, so now they have a plan, which is they got to get out of this house because it's basically surrounded by 50 ghoulies. Uh, who are not going to stop. So they've got to find some way to get gas in the truck and for all of them to get at it and get to one of these shelters uh, so they can be safe. So Mr. Beatnik ends up finding the keys to the gas tank out back and Ben and Mr. Beatnik volunteer to be the ones to run out to the truck and fill it up at the pump. Next, we have this odd little moment I, I understand why it's in there. Uh, it, it's the scene between Mr. Beatnik and his girlfriend, and and they're arguing about whether or not they should go. She doesn't mm-hmm. want to leave. She feels like they're relatively safe there, and he says, really, it's not safe. We need to get somewhere where other people are. And and so I think what Romero was doing here in the script is it, it, he's giving you a little bit more of an opportunity to kind of connect with this little couple. They have this nice little sweet moment uh, you know, the, where you see that they actually care about each other and they're concerned for each other's safety. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and that's because things are about to go bad for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, <laughs> so now it's time to put our plan into action. And Mr. Beatnik and Ben make a break outside. Uh, Mr. Beatnik goes for the truck. Ben goes for the tank. And Mr. Freakin' Entitled is in charge of throwing Molotov cocktails out the window to keep the ghouls away. Uh, what could possibly go wrong? It starts out with Mr. Entitled chucking these things, these Molotov cocktails. So the fire kind of pushes him back. So now old Beatnik and Ben, sounds like a 70s drama. <laughs> old Beatnik and Ben <laughs> driving convoys and solving crimes. Uh, <laughs> they're outside. Beatnik starts to move the truck, but his girlfriend freaks out and just runs outside. Yeah, yeah. And meanwhile, uh, you know, what's his face inside, entitled douche, um, is like trying to hold her in, inside because basically the plan was just for just be- the guys. Nick and Ben. Mm-hmm. Uh, to get it and come back to the house and she just, uh, her hormones take over. I don't know what happens, but she's like, <laughs> Separation no. anxiety. Yeah, she, she bolts it. Uh, but she does make it to the truck and they get the truck over to the pump. The key doesn't work. Ben ends up having to shoot the... Uh, the lock off. I don't even know what the point of having the dude find the key. If <laughs> so yeah, just, I think it was to make it more suspenseful. Like, yeah. oh, it's not working, and the ghoulies are coming, and they get that <laughs> shot off and whip the hose out and it slings gas everywhere. And Ben's holding a freaking torch. What do we think is going to happen when mm-hmm. the damn truck catches on fire? And Beatnik says, "Oh, I gotta get the truck away from the fire." Well, your truck is on fire. Yeah, you're, you're driving the you, fire right now. Wherever you go, it goes. That's how that works. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, well, the truck blows up. Yeah, 
it was a little bit of a surprising scene. I wasn't expecting it because, you know, thus far we've had really our big scene with, with Johnny as far as our big first kill with mm-hmm. the zombie. Uh, we have had encounters thus far and we have had close calls. Uh, but and, this, and we've had some zombie kills. Some yeah. ghoulies have gone down. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, you know, so far everything's been ghoulie centric. So we have this random one-off kill of this car explosion. It was a little bit surprising as the viewer just because I was like, oh, okay, we just lost two pretty big core characters of mm-hmm. our, our main group in such a drastic way. And I mean, I, I understand wh- why it needed to happen. It needed to move the story forward and we needed to, you know, move things along. So I get why it had to happen. But it was a little bit shocking just because I wasn't expecting it in uh, the context that we were in, you know, as far as it being a zombie movie. And it was just so unexpected. You know, we have this chaotic scene of them with the zombies. And you, I expect if anybody's going to get killed or die right now, it's going to be from a zombie. Mm-hmm. So yeah, when we have two characters just blow up in a truck, I was like, oh, okay. Okay. Well, all right. Yeah. You cannot let your guard down. Yeah. 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 That's, that's what that death is telling you. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Well, of course, now Ben is left outside with a whole slew of ghoulies, but is able to keep them off of him with that damn torch. He makes it back to the house but Mr. Freaking Entitled has locked the fucking door. Yes. Oh, my God. Literally the most inconvenient. Infuriating. Well, of course, Ben has to kick it in to get inside just as he sees Mr. Entitled slink his way back down into the basement. Now that he's been busted, he runs back and tries to help Ben get the door closed. Once it's secure, Ben kicks Mr. Entitled's ass Mm -hmm. i mean punching the shit out of him gets him down on the ground and is just going after it was like you fuck (laughs) and it's just that's that's what the audience wants to do yeah they just want to bash his face in yeah he has not been a pleasurable character thus far so to kind of have yeah this small moment of indication of what has been kind of an inside villain you know inside the house mm-hmm. uh to have been kind of retaliate yeah it was a nice moment of yes nice this is this is what we needed right now <laughs> yes yes i want to punch someone i'll take it <laughs> well of course after that delicious scene we get yet another delicious barbecue scene <laughs> Uh, and all of our flesh-eating ghouls, which is now what the, the television news is calling them, are now eating the charred remains of Mr. Beatnik and his crispy lady. A little crispy lady friend. <laughs> it's my little crispy lady friend. No big deal. Nothing to see here. She's original recipe. <laughs> Actually, this scene, in one of the shots in the newsroom, the news guy that they have doing the, the reports on television is an actual local newsman, it, it was at the time in Pittsburgh, and he agreed to do those and actually wrote his own copy. Basically, uh, Romero told him the story and what was going on, and like a reporter, he used that information and wrote what he was going to say in his scenes, mm-hmm. like he was doing a real news report. Uh, well, one of the guys who's kind of standing behind him in one of those scenes, I, th- I think he looks like he's on a phone or something. Uh, he was a friend of Romero's and he was an actual butcher. And he's the one who supplied all of those entrails. Those are real pig entrails. Yeah, there's like <laughs> cow livers and like all these. And pig intestines. Yeah. And 
Yeah, they are all bona fide parts, uncooked. And these guys started going to town. They actually bit into that stuff Mm -hmm. and were tearing it apart with their teeth. And oh my goodness, more power to them. Yeah, especially like seeing that scene with the male zombie. I can't remember, but one of them bites into a liver. And immediately that was my thought after we realized that it was all real. Because I didn't know during the movie. It was was afterwards when we were watching that documentary that we found out. That scene immediately popped in my head of just that metallic taste. I was like, oh my gosh. And Romero kind of uh, commented. He was like, yeah, all these people were so great. They were just willing to do whatever you know i just said be a zombie just wanted to be in a movie yeah yeah Yeah. so yeah knowing these people just went ham in these entrails and livers no pun intended (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) and uh just sat there and chewed it and stuff yeah no thank you props to them (laughs) well it's really effective it is a nice nasty scene Mm -hmm. and it is even in the black and white it is great well now our five remaining survivors have to come up with a new plan while Barbara blathers on the couch about it being 10 minutes to three. It's 10 minutes to three. It's 10 minutes to three. I, I don't know what's She's happening She's basically to a cuckoo clock. <laughs> <laughs> it's four minutes to Wapner. She's Rain Man. Well, she also happens to blather that the keys are in Johnny's pocket. And Ben realizes that Barbara has access to a car. Mm-hmm. So now this is our new plan. They've got to find a way to get to that car so they can get to one of these rescue centers. We also learned from the news our next bit of zombie lore, which is you can only kill a zombie or a ghoul by shooting it in the head. Kill the brain, kill the zombie. Mm-hmm. This mm-hmm. is where it all started. And that's that's pretty much... I mean, there's there's been some slight changes between different tellings of zombie stories on uh, of how zombies react. But for the most part... They're pretty much the same. I, I think you have your your walking zombies and your running zombies, mm-hmm. and there's there's two different camps uh, as to what a quote unquote real zombie is. Yeah, but pretty one of the things that has pretty much always stayed the same is kill the brain, kill the zombie. Mm-hmm. It, it's mm-hmm. always got to be the head. Got to take off the head, kill the brain. That's always been a staple. I don't. I don't. I can't recall a story where that's changed. Yeah, I don't. I can't either, off the top of my head. I'm. I mean, I'm sure there has been, and I, for some reason, feel like there has been, like maybe a book series that I've read, but yeah, I mean, that's always been the tried and true, and, and it's so funny because, you know, we're talking about really a, a fictional trope of zombies, but mm-hmm. as we do, you know, when we discuss how to kill them, it it's like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Well, our ghouls have certainly arrived en masse, and they start attacking the windows, and Ben is trying to keep them out. He screams for Mr. Entitled to help out, but as usual, he's worthless. Ben has to drop the gun to hold the window, and Mr. Entitled grabs the gun and tries to force everyone to get in a basement. A struggle ensues, and Ben gets the gun back and shoots the fuck out of Mr. Entitled. Mm -hmm. And finally, we're like, yes! (laughs) Well, Mrs. Entitled is uh, a little preoccupied to be upset, and she's being attacked by ghouls through the window. And Barbara, here comes Barbara springing into action to help Mrs. Entitled. So Mr. Entitled, he's been shot. He stumbles his way into the cellar and poetically dies next to his ailing daughter. Well, Mrs. Entitled, thanks to Barbara, is able to make an escape, and she too makes her way downstairs 
just in time to see little Karen eating her father. Papa, for breakfast. (laughs) So she's made a miraculous recovery. She has apparently died and come back to life. And uh, that's because we left her alone in the basement. If they hadn't left her alone... Everybody knows basements make zombies. That's right. And uh, little Karen just got a bite of Papa. But Karen now turns on Mommy. Now she's got some live bait. And she comes right after Mommy Dearest and stabs her real good with a gardening trowel. What a great weapon. It really is. This is such a good scene. It's phenomenal. I love this scene so much. I can only imagine the horror of someone in 1968 seeing this when this, you know, the father has just been shot. And yeah, he was a jerk, but he stumbles down into the basement and collapses next to his young daughter and you're like oh the horror she's sick and she'll never know her father even though he was an asshole dying next to her and then mom (laughs) she's in peril upstairs and is fighting and barbara frees her and she gets downstairs and oh her fucking kids eating her husband yeah i mean what the hell you have no idea because we as viewers don't understand because they did mention that Karen had been bitten. One of them bit her mm-hmm. while uh, they were struggling to get away from wherever they got away from and ended up at the, the farmhouse. But we don't know that. We didn't understand that that's part of the rules, that she was sick and she's going to become another one. And now there's one inside the house. And mom comes down and is the one who discovers this. And it's just, and then the kid, this young kid, I mean, she's what, maybe... 10, 12 years old? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Just deadpan. There is no emotion on this kid's face. And she just slowly starts walking toward the mother and just almost without breaking eye contact, reaches out and grabs this gardening Mm -hmm. trowel and then just really pulls a great psycho moment with Janet Lee. You know, just that psycho, that ee, ee, and Mm -hmm. this trowel, you see it come down and blood's being flinged. You never see the trowel actually penetrate. Yeah. But you do get some nice blood flinging and some some great reaction from from Mrs. Entitled there. It's it's a fantastic scene. And now I think that she does need to be in the basement. I think that it's understandable if they want to keep her down in the basement (laughs) yeah and she's fine she'll be fine she'll be fine she'll handle herself she has plenty of snacks (laughs) well the ghoulies continue to break into the house and a rather handsome ghoul in some fine driving gloves grabs barbara and allows her to be reunited with her brother oh but wait it is her brother. Dun, 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 dun. What a twist. What a twist. Zombie yeah. brother. It's Johnny. And and of course, he died in the cemetery and the dead are coming back to life. So he is reanimated and has become a ghoulie and is the very one who takes out Barbara. It's it's full circle moment. It is Alanis Morissette irony. It is. She wanted Johnny, and she got Johnny. She got Johnny. When you and get Johnny, got her. <laughs> you just got Johnny. <laughs> yeah. One thing about that scene that I wish had been done differently is when we see Johnny again, he's no longer wearing his glasses. I believe they get knocked off of him when he slightly muffled bonks his head on on the. Uh, A good bonk can knock off your glasses. Yeah. 
it sure can. And <laughs> so he's not wearing his glasses. So he looks very different, actually. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people didn't realize on their first screening that uh, that that was the brother. Yeah. And just thought, oh, well, she got killed by zombies. That sucks. Oh, no, it's far more tragic than that. Yeah. She yeah. was actually killed by her brother. Yeah. I think if, if more people would have noticed that from the get-go, because I didn't realize right from the get-go that that was her brother, I think it would have made it a much more impactful scene. I mean, it's already mm-hmm. pretty impactful because, again, we have another core character dying. Uh, but by the hands of her brother, I think would definitely make a huge difference to the audience's reaction. Yeah, absolutely. It, it also proves the point that uh, Clark Kent really could have gotten away with being Superman's alter ego and no one knowing. I always thought, it's just glasses. Everyone's going to know who the hell that is. That's <laughs> stupid. That's stupid disguise. But here we go. And I do that all the time to you. I'll, I'll be in the kitchen without my glasses and you're like, ah, stranger. <laughs> who the hell are you? And then I put them on, and there I am. <laughs> Why are your eyes so small? <laughs> well, of course, with Barbara now uh, skipping off to the land of the non-living, uh, if you've been keeping count, you know that Ben is now all alone, and he is forced to retreat to the basement where he is now trapped, and it is exactly where he was trying to avoid mm-hmm. ending up. He He was absolutely right, and now he's got to somehow make his final stand in the basement and hope that they can't get in. Mm-hmm. And our our last scene that we see before the sun comes up is the ghoulies have breached the house and they're inside now. By the way, young Karen uh, actually made it upstairs. I can't remember how she got back upstairs. She she somehow gets, I don't know if she's uh, drawn to the, the noise that's going on up there, mm-hmm. but she does make her way upstairs. So when Ben traps himself into the basement he's trapped in there with mr and mrs entitled yeah and of course they both come back and he has to shoot both of them in the head well the next morning we see the local town posse making their way to the farmhouse picking off ghoulies left and right as they go and now you're also seeing police arrive and uh they're they're getting out of the cars and they got their canines and they're walking around and the Dogs are barking and yapping, and here you have this posse of civilians with their guns walking around just shooting people. And here's where more of the parallels to uh, social commentary on what was going on in 1968 in, in America uh, when it came to you know social in, injustice and inequality mm-hmm. and the Vietnam War going on. It was the, the first televised war and people were really seeing what what that was really like and you know you're coming toward the end of the the peace and love era of the hippies and and things are getting really dark Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. and and certainly racial tensions and so you remember seeing these images of police officers going after protesters with with hoses and with these dogs and you see these these mobs out of civilians with guns going after people and here's this scene like that at the end and of course the thing that's wrong to them are these ghouls these zombies but clearly you can insert any minority into that role yeah and yeah. and you are seeing how how things were it it really 
seemed like a tinderbox time where tensions were were very high. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was there was a lot of hostility. Like you said, tensions were on high for sure, and I think did Romero even say that it was kind of a conscious decision to to make this Well, he he was well aware when he gets to the end of this film and they realize shooting, you know, we never changed this ending. Mm-hmm. The ending is what it is. And we have hired a black man mm-hmm. to play this role. And so we'll just go ahead and, and play out the, the end of the film. The next morning, Ben hears uh, shots being fired out outside and realizes that human beings are coming to help. And he makes his way cautiously out of the basement and comes up and goes to a window to look outside to make sure everything's okay. And here comes our mob of vigilantes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're all shoot first, ask questions later. And they don't even ask, you know, if he's living. Yeah. And they shoot him right between the eyes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they're not, if I remember correctly, they're not even like close enough to really tell, right? Like they're far away and they're like, oh, there he is. And yep. they, yeah. And they just assume he's another one and they shoot him. Mm-hmm. And that's where our movie ends. Yeah. It's a very shocking ending. And credits roll and you hear them going through and they're cleaning up the scene. Mm-hmm. And they go in and this is done in shots, in, in like photograph shots. Uh, So it's just these still shots that flash across the screen. And they said on the news that the only way to ensure that they're not going to come back is to burn the bodies. So they've started this huge burn pile out in a field next to the farm. And they're putting all these dead ghouls' bodies on the bonfire. And so in these still shots at the end, just like you see pigs that come to slaughter once they're dead... They take these huge meat hooks, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. handheld, and they hook them so they can pull them along. And you see a hook in Ben. Yeah. And, you know, it's implying we've hooked him up so we can take him over to the burn pile. Mm -hmm. And the last shot uh, after the credits roll, it goes back to film and it's it's a shot. It's not a still shot. And you just see that fire burning, that big bonfire, and you're left to assume that you're watching Ben's body burn. The the hero that you've gotten behind this entire movie and rooted for, mm-hmm. he's dead. Yeah, None yeah. of the people you just spent an hour and a half with have survived. Mm-hmm. And it's 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 the perfect ending. It, it had to be that way for this film to become what it is. I yeah, think. yeah. Yeah, It's it was a shocking ending, especially... Uh, my first time watching it, I wasn't expecting it at all. And I found myself kind of being like, <sighs> you know, I think I'm so used to today's horror or today's really any movies where a lot of times things are wrapped up in a nice bow and we get some sort of happy ending. And as we all know, that's not realistic in a lot of ways. So yeah, this one is is more realistic because we're getting an ending where, like you said, all these relationships that we've established and and people we've grown to care for and, and stuff like that are null and void now. Uh, but I found myself being like, I really wish we could have had him kind of finish out the movie, but I, I understand why it had to happen the way that it did. But regardless, that doesn't take away how shocking it is. It's just so sudden. You literally have these people kind of shouting. It's just a lot. The ending scene is very chaotic mm-hmm. and it ends so abruptly. So yeah, you as the viewer, you're just kind of like, uh, oh, okay. And then yeah, you're kind of 
I found myself sitting through the credits kind of in like a stunned silence, I guess, for lack of better words. Uh, just sitting there kind of watching like, did this really all happen? Like, did they really just kill that guy? And then, <laughs> yeah, we're watching these stills and everything happen. It was just a very interesting ending. It was not the ending I was expecting. Yeah, it it, it was uh, a shocking ending and kind of rightfully so. I mean, what was going on in the world at that time was shocking and unsettling. And, and that's kind of how he wanted this to end is, you know, it's not always a happy ending. Mm-hmm. Bad things happen. And there were discussions after they hired Dwayne to play the part of Ben. You know, obviously we already talked about the fact that he was uncomfortable doing uh, the scene where he had to slap a white woman mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. shoot a white man because he knew he was going to get flack for that. Uh, but there was also discussions of do we change it and have it to where he survives and in a sense, I think for this movie to become the social commentary that it has, I, th- I think that was an important part of the story because it really did reflect, you know, with these mobs coming in with their guns and the police with their with the dogs coming in. It just really looks so much of newsreels from those chaotic times back there mm-hmm. that it just reminded you what was really at stake Mm -hmm. and and that people were dying and uh, it was just a a tragic sad times and and you know we've made progress but it's not better yeah yeah that's what I, i was just about to say i feel like it's a a very timely piece about what was going on but it's interesting how a lot of those uh struggles and and issues that have got to change still are prevalent today and so yeah I think that again that only lends credence to the fact that that movie that the movie has kind of surpassed its time it's it, it, regardless of the fact that there's not a lot of gore and in in that it's not in color and that there's not huge graphic moments of you know uh blood and, and even like crazy makeup and stuff like that that it still withstood the the test of time because the lessons that it's teaching unfortunately as sad as it is are still relevant to to today mm-hmm. um the whole you know shoot first ask questions later that, that seems to be something that unfortunately is 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 prevalent in today's times and 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 so i think that is what makes this a, a, as important as it is and i think honestly maybe that's where romero was coming from when he talked about making the statement that he wanted to that maybe in hindsight, you know, because the movie is still so important as it is, and that maybe now having that statement in it, more people would understand it or grasp onto it better, you know, and it, and it would make more sense now. But I, I, I'm glad that he didn't for the time that it was done in. But I can understand where he's coming from as far as maybe for today's society, because yeah, sometimes, unfortunately, a lot of things have gotten better and we have progressed. But Unfortunately, we still live in a society where sometimes things have to be slapped on your face for you to understand that we can just see this person for what they are. And that is a good actor, a good, you know, a a person coming in and saving the situation. Yes, it's a fictional character, but still. So, yeah, I think maybe nowadays it might have benefited from that. But 
Yeah. Well, you know, I think today people have the benefit of at least knowing the story yeah. and, and knowing that it is supposed to be this reflection of the times. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, true. And and so they have that education going in. It, it, it can help make it a little bit more meaningful. And that's the thing for me with movies is that sometimes in cases such as this, they grow into something so much bigger than the, what they were intended to mm-hmm, be. Mm-hmm. This was supposed to be a fun horror movie. They just wanted to make a movie. That's all they wanted to do was make a movie. And they did everything they could. They scratched and clawed to get this movie made. Mm-hmm. And it happened. And it, it grew into something much bigger. And that's the great thing about cinema is we can all share that experience and share that story Mm -hmm. through watching this movie and it continues to live on and you can pass that on yeah and and that's what's so exciting about movies to me is Mm -hmm. is the the shared experience uh but yet still individual Mm -hmm. you know everyone experiences a movie differently different parts of it will speak differently to different people depending on what their own life experience is but you know, you have these huge movies like your your Star Wars and and your Jaws. You know these these giant summer blockbusters that all these people experience, but everybody is going to get something different from it, mm-hmm. and that's what makes them so great. It's it's just all something we can share, but still have a little bit of a piece of it that's all your own. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I love the fact that. You know, that's part of the the fun of horror. Uh, You know, Night of the Living Dead is not the only horror movie to do some sort of configuration on social commentary when it comes to horror movies. That's very prevalent to, you know, a lot of movies back then and a lot of movies today. And I love that horror is able to do that in a way where it doesn't shove it in your face, but it makes it prevalent enough to where it does make you uncomfortable. You get into these movies and you're in comfortable situations like Night of the Living Dead, where, yeah, you're watching, uh, you know, first you're met with the scene of this man hitting this woman. And, and granted, it's in the heat of the situation and stuff like that. It's still uncomfortable. And then we have the scenes of, you know, the shooting scenes between both Ben and and our other core characters and and then the officers and Ben. And then moving forward to today, where we have other movies similar, you know, where we have Get Out and other movies like that, where we have these commentaries of racial injustices and, and society inequalities and stuff like that. And it's done in a way where if you're going in and you know that that's what the movie's about, you just get in and you, you know, bite down and you really get to soak in that movie and enjoy it and and break down the things that the movie's saying. And then you have those that don't really care about the commentary. And as much as, yeah, we wish that they did, we wish that everybody would go in and learn a lesson, they still go in and they can still enjoy, enjoy the movie for what it is and, and like, kind of backing up what you said everybody gets to go in and have their own experience whether that is to go in and enjoy the commentary and and come out feeling renewed feeling like you've learned something while also getting to enjoy the grittiness of a horror movie or you have those ones that are just simply going in for you know the blood and the gore and the guts and the fight scenes and the graphics and stuff like that but I I love the fact that horror offers that doorway to be able to play around with that and still be able to have fun with makeup and, and effects and stuff like that. And so, yeah, I think even a movie like Night of the Living Dead that's in black and white that has really, you know, 
<laughs> just a really sad budget and they you know talked on and on about how small the cast is and everything and, and just like you said they they scratched and clawed their way to kind of get this movie to come to fruition which i mean romero said even in the documentary when they went into this they didn't expect this thing to get finished Mm -hmm. they didn't expect it at all so the fact that they did and they were able to not only finish it but also put in lessons about what was happening in the time i think is really awesome yeah it you know absolutely what you just said was so well said Uh, i i agree 100 percent and you're right at at the end of the day the bottom line is this is just a fun great zombie movie mm-hmm, mm-hmm. just watch it because it's a great fun zombie movie yeah 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 it it's it's such a fun film mhm i'm ready to uh get into the prompts of this one because i uh was really curious about what some of your answers were on this one all right well let's jump into it so what was your popcorn spiller so for me, for my popcorn spiller, granted it is the end of the movie. It did it for me. And that was the scene with Ben. I really feel like if I had seen this movie in theaters, I would have thrown my popcorn. because Not just spilled it. I would have thrown it because I would have been a little bit angry with the ending. <laughs> uh, it was just so stinking uh, shocking. You know, wa- even watching it last night, I was just kind of, what? I just had this gas moment I just was not expecting it so for me that was an easy answer just because I know watching that as a premiere in the movie theater I would have definitely spilt some popcorn thrown some popcorn thrown a little bit of a fit you know made something happen uh so easily the the death of Ben was my popcorn spiller how about you uh, well, for me, it's when Barbara finds the corpse at the top of the stairs. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, it's the first time, like we talked about earlier, it's the first time we really got any kind of gore yeah. in this. And, you know, everything up to this point, the fact that it's black and white and uh, the makeup on the ghoul that we've seen up to this point is non-existent. Yeah. Uh, other than making him look really pale. Yeah. Uh, so to see that, it, it really kind of catches you off guard. Mm-hmm. You think this is going to be a much more tame movie. And then all of a sudden you get this, what the hell? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right in your face. And it is an extreme close-up. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, I thought it was a pretty good popcorn spiller. Yeah, I can easily see that because it, it did the same for me. I remember thinking... That it was, A, really well done and really creepy, but how shocking it was because thus far everything had been pretty G-rated. So, yeah, it was definitely a popcorn spiller moment. So up next, what is your scene stealer for this movie? Favorite character? Hands down, without a doubt, it's Ben. Ben is the fucking man. He comes in, takes charge. Mm -hmm. He's like... I don't care what kind of fucking crazy you're going through. I don't care <laughs> don't have time how for many it. people around you have died. Right now, in this moment, we need to take care of shit, and we're going to take care of shit. Yeah. Ben's the fucking man. That makes sense. What Easy about choice. You? Uh, for me, it was the opposite. It was Barb, and that was only because <laughs> she was just... I also love that you call her Barb. Uh, yeah. Literally all throughout my notes, she was just Barb. <laughs> my queen, Barb. She is just such a nut throughout this whole movie and and she easily for me steals the scenes only because anytime she's on the on the scene and things are happening I can't not look at her because I just she does such a good job at, at playing a character that's not there but is able to also keep your attention because she's like 
rubbing the doily on the couch or uh-huh. something strange. She's just always doing something bizarre or, or fondling a knife. You know, I just, you yeah. never know what that quirky Barb's going to be doing. Mr. Poker. Yeah, but you got to keep your eye on her. And I do. When she's on the screen, I'm, I'm looking at her. <laughs> you can't help it. I'm like, all right, Barb, I see you. And so, yeah, for me, she's the scene stealer because I can't, I can't look away from my queen Barb. So, Okay, so what was your favorite gorgasm? So for me, it was actually a toss up between the, the stare moment that you referenced earlier. And it was easily that from the when it happened, I wrote that down. I was like, oh, gorgasm moment. Got it. But then we had our garden trowel scene and that won it for me. Uh, the, the scene where the daughter is killing the mom it's just it's good i know that we don't get any like trowel penetration action that's okay for me i'm yeah. still here for it i'm here for the blood scenes there's some great sound effects in there uh it's it's a good juicy moment so uh-huh. i was i was i was loving it that whole extended scene is just great mm-hmm. what about for you what's your orgasm for this movie well mine has got to be when the ghouls eat mr beatnik and his chicken fried girlfriend <laughs> it, it's just <laughs> and even even more so knowing that that is all real animal innards mm-hmm. and i'm just not okay with watching them eat that yeah. stuff raw it's yeah. just like that seems dangerous mm-hmm. somebody's gonna get sick somebody's gonna turn into a real zombie i just see so much salmonella yeah and you know what they say is the starting stage of zombie salmonella mm-hmm so Romero knew what he was doing. <laughs> he really did. He was like, we're going to make this movie happen one way or another. All right. And up next is our memorable mortality category. What was that for you? Well, my memorable mortality was your gorgasm. And mine is when Karen stabs her mom with yeah. the garden trowel. It's, it's just, like I said, that entire scene, that whole thing from when Mr. Entitled gets shot, stumbles into the basement, dies next to Karen. Karen <laughs> comes back to life, eats dad, mom comes down, gets stabbed with the trowel. Just phenomenal. Yeah. It's yeah. movie making at its finest. Mm-hmm. And yours? Uh, again, opposite flip of years. Mine was the truck scene. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Only because, you know, like I said off the top, it it surprised me. I was not expecting this truck explosion scene. So for some reason, that just really caught me off guard. I was really shocked by it. I don't know why. It's not like people can't die in other ways in zombie movies. But I was like, excuse me, Romero, not expecting that. Uh, so it really caught me off guard. But I think because <laughs> you, sir, <laughs> listen, have gotten one over on me. <laughs> Sneaky. I don't like it. But I also like it. <laughs> uh I think for me also, it is that follow-up scene. You know, we have the, the scene of the zombies just taking a little snick snack on them and the chaoticness of Ben trying to get inside. It's just a lot to take in. And because we have this explosion to kind of set that scene off, I think for whatever reason, it just kind of imprinted in my brain. And, and immediately when I got to this prompt, I was like, oh, the truck scene. I was not expecting it. It was a memorable mortality. So that was it for me. Perfect. Perfect. Well, of course, that brings us to the big question. Should we drop it in the vault or leave it in the dead zone? I think for me, it's got to go in the vault. I don't know. I mean, I know that it, it, it 
it pales in comparison. I know it, it's going to pale in comparison to a lot of zombie movies as far as graphics and gore that we get into and this journey of this drive-in and everything. But I think because it, it, it did start the genre, which is a genre that I love so much. It's a genre that I just hold dear to my heart. I think I have to. I think I I just, I loved what this movie did. I loved the standards that it set that we know in our zombie lore now and I loved the characters. I loved the, especially, I really, I think, you know, one thing we do have to mention or should mention, I guess, is that documentary that we watched after the movie because it really did help, I don't know, further the enjoyment, I guess, for lack of better words. There mm-hmm. was so many things that I learned within that documentary about the movie and the actors and Romero and stuff like that, that I just, it really kind of, I guess, solidified it spot in the vault for me like knowing all that went into it and you know knowing the actors played multiple parts and it was just this kind of ragtag group living in this house they lived there the whole time they were filming they like washed off in the little creek outside and everything it just was like you guys put so much time and energy into this little movie that nobody expected to do so well and it it did it it did it well and I I I have to put in the vault for me yeah you know, a lot of times with these independent films is is that's the thing that makes it great is you can really feel the passion mm-hmm. in it. These people wanted to make this movie and did everything they could to make it happen. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, people who are already established in Hollywood, they just have studios, you know, they're contracted with them and they do a movie because they're <laughs> contracted to do so yeah. and it might not be their passion project. So with these little indie films, you know, the, the little films that could, mm-hmm. you, you really can sometimes see that passion behind it and you yeah. can certainly see it in this film. So absolutely. It's the freaking birth of the zombie film as we know it today. Is it my favorite zombie film of all time? Absolutely not. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I would have to agree. I don't think it's my favorite, but I think it's it's a good foundational zombie movie. Uh, yeah. I, it's where it all started. And and just for that fact alone, you got to give it its props. Mm-hmm. It's going in the vault. Yeah. It's got to go in the vault. Plus, it's just so much fun. It is a really fun movie. For those that haven't seen it, if you know, whatever the deterrent has been, whether it's the zombie movie or the fact that it's black and white or whatever, I highly suggest it. It's it's not it's not gory. I really feel like a, a lot of people could stomach it. In fact, that again, going back to the documentary, uh, there there was a film teacher that was like showing that to like a, his classroom full of kids, and so I I, I think yeah, it's, they were like eight or nine years old. Yeah, yeah. And they were loving every minute. Of yeah, it. yeah. And they were like breaking down the the movie and stuff like that. So there was a reason they were watching it, but. I really think a lot of people could stomach it. And so, yeah, if there's a reason that you haven't seen it as far as like the gore or anything goes, I I definitely think it's worth checking out and don't let the black and white thing deter you at all because it, it, I think it only adds to it. I think it just is well done. Well, that's going to do it for us. Episode number six is in the can in the can. Thank you so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the Dead Zone Drive-In on your favorite listening platform. And if you're looking for a way to support us, we would be so grateful if you would leave a rating and or review. And if you screenshot that review and send it to us, we're going to send you 
your very own Dead Zone drive-in sticker for free. That's no monies, honey. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or you can email us at deadzonedrivein at gmail.com. And if you're wanting to reach us by snail mail, our address is P.O. Box 12665, Oklahoma City, Oklahoma 73157. We'll be sure to pick it up while we're driving through our hometown. Also, don't forget to check out the Linktree URL in our show notes to check out all of our socials and check out our letterbox so you can keep up with all of the movies we're watching. And lastly, be sure to seek us out next week as we'll be watching Halloween. And if you want to check out the documentary we watched about this movie, it's called Birth of the Living Dead, and we'll have it linked in the show notes. A big thank you to our house band Slime and the Maggot Boob for letting my mom sit in for a jam session. She really enjoyed the hell out of it. And remember, if you're looking for The Dead Zone and want to join us for a weekend showing, if you've listened to this episode in its entirety, you'll have been provided with all the information you need. Don't forget your tickets. Good night, folks, and please buckle up. We'll be waiting for you. An air printer, well, any printer, really is a scary task for me. (laughs) Printers are the worst, and they never have ink. I know, well, even if they have ink, they're like, sorry, out of something. And I'm like, I don't understand how you can be because I just put it in you. Well, the ink, not it. <laughs> That's dirty. Uh, I have a special relationship with my printer. It's a love-hate thing. I love it. It hates me. <laughs> yeah, I, I just feel like... I mean, the sex is great, <laughs> but it doesn't print for shit. <laughs> Now, folks, it's time to say goodnight. We sincerely appreciate your patronage and hope we've succeeded in bringing you an enjoyable evening of entertainment. Please drive home carefully and come back again soon. Good night. Seven.